0: This is the real estate rookie show number ten.
1: Say that I'm I'm great at my W two job, right? And, and I climb the corporate ladder, and and you know I'm I'm just killing it, right? Once I'm gone, once I'm gone, right? I can't pass that on to my family, right? But with real estate, I can build this empire. I can I can have this machine, and once I'm gone, I know that that's going to keep giving and giving and giving to my family and, and that's that's a big piece for me too.
0: The Big Ten. I am Ashley Kerr and I am here with the assistant to the host Felipe Mejia and his little hula dancer on his microphone.
2: <laughs> that's right. I got my hula hula man here. <laughs> um, but yeah, finally 10 episodes. Wow. I can't believe we've made it this far. People like us. I love it.
0: Yes. Thank you, everyone. And we love the Facebook group. It is growing, growing every day. We're almost to 6,000, I believe. Wild. Yeah. So today we have Tony Robinson on the show. And we actually recorded this previously before coronavirus happened. And we reached out to Tony, but not a lot has changed for him. Kind of the same as uh, Mallory and Lucas on episode eight. They said not a lot had changed for them either so tony talks about a deal that he rehabbed rented out and so far his tenant has been able to pay rent and then he told us when we talked to him that he was undergoing a rehab right now finished it ready to rent but he can't find anyone to rent it and he's considering dropping the price so what do you think about that Felipe, what would be your strategy
2: yeah, I think it's a good strategy. I think that tells a lot about him. I always tell you know my friends and family that look, if we have to re- lower the rent to get people in the rooms or in the houses, then that's mm-hmm. fine. I drop my ego, rent the place out. We gotta have some cash coming in. It's better to do that than have nothing coming in, right? Having a vacant property is like the worst thing you can do. So yeah, absolutely. You know, get someone in there if you have to lower the rent. And then I like that he said that one thing that he is changing is he used to only look for three-bedroom homes, but now he's going to also look for two-bedroom homes, but the lot has to be big enough for him to add that third bedroom. So really smart of him. And then also considering Section 8 property. So I I think it's really good, and it says a lot about who he is. In the show, he also talks about some of the things that he's had to overcome, things that happened in his Mm -hmm. past when he was younger. Very
0: inspiring. Yes. (laughs) Super
2: inspiring. And then things that, uh, you know, even going on now. So I think he's got the grit. I think Tony's going to be really good in real estate. You guys are, it's going to be a great show. I can't wait to get into it.
0: Let's bring Tony on the show.
1: Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Their reputation speaks for itself with more five star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit Rent That's Rent to Retirement.com.
3: Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com BP.
2: The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day, with Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable.
0: Hi Tony, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you guys. Excited to be here. Tony, thank you so
2: much for joining us, man. Hey, really excited to get into your show. I was reading a little bit about your bio and all that fun stuff. I think we have a ton of information to cover, so let's just dive in, man. Tell us a little bit about yourself,
1: first of all. Yeah, when I'm not working in real estate, um, I'm a family man first. um, So I'm engaged to my high school sweetheart, actually. Uh, Congratulations!
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, so we're (laughs) we're getting married this year in uh, Cabo San Lucas. Um, I have a 12 year old son. So, you know, when I'm not doing the real estate thing, they take up a ton of my time. And I know we'll get into it later, but they're a big part of the reason why I'm driving so hard uh, for this. When I'm not with them, I'm at work. I got a W2 job. I work in supply chain for uh, uh, an autom- automotive company. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm not focusing on real estate.
0: Good. That's awesome.
1: What does your portfolio look like now, Tony? I mean, what,
2: what, what do you have and kind of give us a 30,000th of you, if you will. Of
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, two single family homes, both in Shreveport, Louisiana. I live in Southern California, so it's a few states away. But I'm, I'm really focusing now on trying to go into the larger multifamily space. So that was kind of my goal early on was to get into the larger uh, apartment complexes. But too afraid to start there. Wanted to kind of pick up something smaller first. So I kind of cut my teeth on the single family houses. And now I'm, now I'm trying to level up a little bit.
0: So an out-of-state investor, interesting because I'm trying to be one. So what made you decide (laughs) to do that?
1: Living in California, it's almost mandatory, right? Mm -hmm. For someone that's trying to get started, the numbers just don't make a whole ton of sense, especially on the single family space. So I I knew I needed to go somewhere where uh, my my dollar would stretch a little bit further. And my parents, my mom and my stepdad, they actually retired to this little town in Louisiana called Shreveport. And they bought a house out there for $30,000. It had been vacant for a few years. Uh, they put another 30000 into it for the rehab. And the house appraised for about $100,000 once it was all wow. said and done. And they funded 100% of the purchase and the rehab with a local bank out there. So once I saw that, I was like, okay, well, okay, <laughs> cool, here, here's where I'm starting.
2: This is where I'm going with that. That's, right. that's amazing. Right. That's interesting. And I, I can't wait to get into that because I want to hear more about the two properties. They're out of state. I mean, those are yeah. your first. That's wild. That's going to be a great story. Before we get into that, though, earlier you said, they are my why. Let's dig into that a little bit. Um, your family is your why. So we'd love to hear that story, man. What's going on? Yeah,
1: absolutely, man. So, you know, I, I'm unlike most parents, I, I kind of had, I, I got started parenting early. Um, I was 16 when my son was born. So I was a, a junior in high school and, wow. you know, becoming a parent at that age, at any age, but obviously at that age, it, it really has a, a big impact on, on kind of how the rest of your life flows. So, you know, unlike most kids when they're in college and, and they're kind of partying and doing the thing, like. I, I always had this very clear focus and goal uh, that was driving me, right? And it was my son, it was my family. So it, it, I feel like it helped me develop a certain level of grit and determination that I think a lot of people don't get until later in life. And, and it's, it's kind of paid dividends. But having my family there and knowing that I want to be able to drop my son off at school and, and pick him up and, you know, if my fiance and I want to go out and, and uh, go on a vacation, we don't have to worry about PTO or sick time or anything like that. So really what's driving me is just being able to spend time with them be present for them and make sure that financially we're are always taken care of.
2: Interesting. And if if I can dig into that a little bit more, sure. What helped you or why did you choose real estate as that avenue rather than every anything else, right? Like what why why did you pick real estate versus starting a business or, you know, sure. doing anything else?
1: Yeah, I will say that I've I've tried a ton of things, right? <laughs> real estate definitely <laughs> wasn't uh, wasn't the first thing, man. Like when I was in college, I actually had like a, a tutoring business, right? Where a mobile tutoring business, where I had like three or four other tutors working for me, and we were going wow. all over the town. So I've tried I've tried so many different things, right? But my dad is actually the guy that that I can give the credit to for uh, giving me the real estate bug. When I was in high school, he made me read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And it always kind of stuck with me. And I knew that at some point I wanted to get into real estate, right? Just because it, it's such a, such a strong vehicle. But if we take a step back and we look at what's going on in the market right now with the, the coronavirus, right? The stock market's going crazy, right? Stock prices are plummeting all over the place, but what the companies are doing and their performance isn't any different than, than before coronavirus, right? There, there's not a lot of influence you can have as an investor in the stock market. So it, the lack of control kind of pulled me away from the stock market. But when I look at real estate, I know that if I buy right, and I invest my money into this property uh, smartly, that I'm going to get a certain level of return. And I think that level of control, knowing that I'm the person that that dictates how successful this investment is, that's what really pulled me into real estate. Great answer. Great answer.
2: That's solid advice for anyone who... Is in the same situation. They need to listen to that part, just because it's, it, like you said, it's something that you have control over, and you're able to help. You know, you can control that for your family, and and that resonates with me. I have a two year old, so um, I know your son's probably a little older than that now. But <laughs> you know, I have a two year old, and 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 real estate has given me the freedom to be able to yeah. spend the time that I want with him.
1: And if if I can add on to that, Felipe, right? The sure. the other thing is, if say that I'm I'm great at my W two job, right? And and I climb the corporate ladder, and and you know I'm I'm just killing it, right? I'm once on. I'm gone, once I'm gone, right, I can't pass that on to my family, right? But with real estate, I can build this empire. I can I can have this machine. And once I'm gone, I know that that's going to keep giving and giving and giving to my family. And, and that's, that's a big piece for me too. Gold. Love that. Yeah.
0: So do you want to start telling us a little bit more about... So you found the Louisiana market and then... Sure take us to the next stop. You're like, okay, I saw what my parents did. I want to do that. What did you do? Did you contact a realtor? How did that go?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of happened in two phases, right? So my first rental properties um, I bought last year in 2019, but I initially kind of started on this journey in 2017. So I kind of started, stopped, and then then picked it back up. So I'll I'll take you back to 2017 really briefly. The, The first thing I did was connect with the bank, right? I had my parents tell me, hey, who the heck gave you this amazing loan, right? And is this <laughs> real? Can it happen again? So I reached out to that bank. I uh, got in contact with them, And this is a small regional bank, right? This isn't Bank of America. This isn't, you know, Wells Fargo. This is Home Federal Bank in Shreveport. And they have like three branches out there, right? And, you know, for, for the listeners, that's where you... That, that's like a, a golden spot to be in, right? Like, if I have an issue with my loans, I don't call a 1-800 number. I text the VP of the mortgage division yeah. at this bank, right? So, anyway, built that relationship with her first, let her know what I was looking for. And she said, Sure, this is a loan program that we offer. If you can, and there are some requirements, right? Like you have to, the rehab and the purchase needs to be at about 72% of the ARV. And she's like, As long as you can do that, we'll fund 100% of it. So, once I had the, you know, kind of the guidelines in place, then it was just let me go find the deal. Luckily, the person at the bank had a good relationship with the realtor. um, So she kind of put me in contact with a few different people and I just kind of dove in from there, right? Now, Back in 2017, when I first started, I actually found a deal. It was great. It was a short sale. It was way, way underpriced. It was way (laughs) underpriced. I submitted my offer. The owner accepted. And you know, then it's gotta kind of work its way through the the bank approvals and all that because it was a short sale. Long story short, there was some miscommunication between the listing agent and my agent, where the listing agent reached out to my agent, supposedly, said, Hey, bank is accepted. We need a response within 24 hours. My agent said he never got that communication. I ended up losing the property, goes to auction.
0: Wow. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: So I was, I was super Man. bummed. Right? Yeah, I was and your super, first deal. Bummed. My first deal, right? I'm like, I'm, I'm like this close, right? right? So I ended up taking a break, right? And, and I let about two years go by. And, you know, I have some things going on in my personal life. I ended up buying my, my personal residence in California. I ended up getting engaged. So there's all these other things happening. And then again, last year, I kind of you know things have settled down a little bit. I was like, okay, I think I think now is the time for me to get started. So I reached back out to that same bank. I say, hey, it's me again. Remember me? <laughs> Luckily, they still have that same loan program. Um, I connect with a new realtor, and I, I'm really just kind of hitting the ground running. And I think the fact that I lost that deal early on, it it, it kind of showed me that that hey, you're every deal is not going to go right from the beginning, right? But but you can't let it discourage you. So I, I think I went in with a different perspective. And I, I really narrowed in on one specific zip code. I think before I was just kind of all over the place and you know, trying to find anything, but I said, hey, let me, let me focus on this one zip code. And the value of doing that is that I knew it like the back of my hand. Right, I knew I knew what you know what the properties looked like. I knew what they were going for. I, I knew like the the approximate rehab that I should be doing. So I really dialed in on one specific zip code. Everyone, it's, listen it's,
0: to that tip because that can be <laughs> so important. You zone in on one market and do your research and know that market. It's like I talked mm-hmm. to people who are looking at you know five different cities in different states and oh I, you know i'm looking at these ones right now hone on one do your market study if, if that's not going to work then go on to the next one but when you try and look at all these different places like you said you're not gonna know at like the back of your hand and that's definitely going to help you when you run your numbers you're going to be able to do deal analysis faster and because i don't know about louisiana but for me, at least, when I want to put an offer in, it pretty much has to be that day and I don't have time to go and, you know, do right. a lot of research once I, I find the deal.
2: And to, to piggyback off of that, Ashley, all of my rental properties are within five miles of each other all yeah, the yeah, And it's right. because I know that area like the back of my hand. So the moment something comes to, you know, to market in that within that little circle that I have it's like automatic putting an offer but if you tell me like 20 minutes down the road i I have no idea what you're talking (laughs) about i'm like nope i got i could there's 500 homes that i can buy within five miles here you know i'm buying them all so yeah just to piggyback that's exactly right know your market that's key
0: and tony what made you pick that specific area code was it because it had a good school district what were the specific things that you liked about that zip code
1: that, that's a really good question. So Shreveport as a city, right? It's the third biggest metro in Louisiana after New Orleans and Baton Rouge. It's, it's you know it's not a big market, but it's not a small town either. And I say that because there's different pockets in that city, right? You can go to some pockets where there's you know there's gang violence and there's prostitution and there's you know all the things that come with like a war zone neighborhood. and um, there's others that are you know working class. So what I wanted to do was try and find that that sweet spot, right? like hey where's mm-hmm. where's a where's a good kind of blue collar strong working neighborhood? where the prices are competitive, right? I know that I can still turn a profit, but I also don't wanna be in a, in a neighborhood where it's going to be you know, very management intensive and the quality of, of tenant maybe isn't, isn't quite there. And I also wanted to make sure because I was out of state, that I was investing in an area where the property managers would be able to support it, right? So I had reached out to a bunch of different property managers and I, I had chosen the one that I wanted. So as I was kind of narrowing down on my market, I, I asked him, I was like, hey, mm-hmm. do you invest in this, or do you do you manage in this area? And he said, no, all right, cool, I'm, I'm you know, that one's off the list. What about this area? So we it was kind of a, a working relationship with him and, and he kind of pointed me in the right direction and say, Here, here's a good market for you.
2: You know, Tony, I'm starting to see a trend and we haven't even got to the deal that we're gonna talk about yet, but I'm starting to see a trend Mm -hmm. almost like in your life since back when you were 16, where you had a baby early in your life, but you overcame that in a positive way. And then you lost your first deal in real estate. And now it seems like you've overcome that in a positive way. So it seems to be like there's some grit in your life. And I think that's why you're probably going to be very successful because you're overcoming these obstacles. And as rookie investors that are listening to the show, you know, hone in on that, take, take pride in, Hey, it's okay to make a mistake, but let's get through that, right? Let's get past that. You lost your deal. You took ownership. Let's go. Let's get the very next property and, 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 you're making it work. So I see that success in your life because you have that. I'm going to do this for my family mentality, right? What's that quote? I know there's a quote there somewhere where it's like, if you do it for yourself, you're going to fail, but if you find a why you're going to succeed. So, yeah. I mean, you just
1: find your why. Yeah. And, and if I can add on to that, Felipe, I'm a big mindset guy, right? Like, like you know, the, the real estate piece, Right. It, it's like 20 percent mechanics, 80 percent mentality. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm super big on the mentality piece. And I can't remember where I heard this. It might have been Brandon Turner. I don't know. Someone said this, but it's like people have a tendency to get up, to give up when things get hard. Right. They, they just want to give up. And someone sure. someone phrased it as how many chances do you give a baby to walk before you give up on them? Mm, right, yeah. like there There's no upper limit, right? You, you, the baby falls, you pick them back up, and you hold their right. hand until they they finally figure it out. Yeah. And I, I've I've just really tried to hold that same mentality with everything that I do. It's like I know for certain that I'm going to fail at some point, and that's totally okay because the failures are where I learn. The failures are where I get better, and that's the whole purpose of this of that first deal specifically is to learn. So I went into it with that mindset. The power of failing, but I tell you what,
0: yeah, it's going to make you a better investor too because sure. of it
1: absolutely yeah absolutely right and and you know uh, you guys i'm sure know this as well right but the first deal I, you know, I have a podcast too, and I've interviewed dozens of people and not one person that I met or that I've interviewed has gotten rich up their first deal. Not a single person, right? Yeah. That's not the purpose, purpose of that first deal. The purpose of that first deal as a new investor is to learn, is to educate yourself, is to give you the foundation to continue building your business. That first property hits different, man.
2: It's right. it's a learning experience. And I, I still remember my first property and I I still use some of the tactics that I learned from it going forward. So that's a great story, Tony, by the way. Let's move on to the next section, Tony. Let's figure out and let's talk about a deal and let's Mm -hmm. dive deep into that. Do you have one in mind? Yeah, absolutely. We'll okay. talk about
1: that first one because it's a great one.
3: <laughs> awesome.
2: So let's talk about that one. Give us the rundown, how you found it, financed it, get the nitty gritty out, get the details that you know our listeners are going to want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of finding the deal, it was on the MLS. The market that I'm in, it's not a super heavy like investor market. So there's a lot of good deals still in the MLS out there. So I found it on the MLS, told my, my realtor to put in an offer, and they accepted pretty quickly. I, I bought the property for $100,000, um, budgeted $50,000 for the rehab, Rehab took about three months, four three and a half months or so. Um, and right now it's currently rented for fourteen
0: fifty. How did you find uh your contractors for the doing, you know, a big rehab like that?
1: It, it was all relationship building, right? Yeah. Like I knew being out of state that i obviously I wasn't gonna be able to manage that in any capacity. And my realtor and my bank both suggested and referred the same contract. Oh, so I was cool. like, okay, the, the fact that it's coming from two different people, there there's gotta be something good there.
0: So referrals. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Was there any Great. fear?
1: Yeah.
2: Because you're out of state and hiring a certain, you know, professional do the work or just
1: because everyone was pointing to that person? And how did you get over that hump? Was there any fear? I mean, I think there's always a little bit of fear, right? You know, buying that first rental property. But the way that I frame it is I work in supply chain at my WT job. I know nothing about construction. So I'm not going to be able to provide a ton of value, even if I was there, right? Even if I was Mm -hmm. in that same, I I can't provide a ton of value. So the fact that I can surround myself with people that do this for a living, I mean, it it took away a lot of that fear because, hey, this guy's a professional. This is what he does every single day. And this is a learning experience for me. So I can learn from him and figure out how to do this you know, the the next time.
0: That is a great point. I I like that is even if you were there, you wouldn't add much value anyways, because you know, you wouldn't, you could stop and maybe look at the property and see how the re- rehab is going. But a lot of contractors now or property managers, they'll go and do the video walkthroughs for you. Right. So you don't need to be there, but you know, you, yeah, it's that's not like did, you would right? be there swinging a hammer and helping <laughs> right. out and taking money exactly. off the tab. <laughs>
1: exactly. Right. I had a uh, FaceTime, the contractor and he kind of showed me around every couple of weeks, just to give me yeah. an update. And then that was good for me.
0: Okay. Yeah. What was
1: the what was the outcome of that property? Where is it at now? How's it doing? Yeah. So the, the, there's actually a story behind that, right? So we I purchased the property, and I want to say it took a, it took a couple of weeks to get the rehab started because the contractor was working uh, on another on another project. So it took about three and a half months to get the rehab finished. Now, when I initially underwrote the property and I was underwriting the deal, I had fifteen hundred dollars per month as the the rent that I was targeting. Right? I said, mm-hmm. hey, I feel like I can confidently get this number. And how did you um,
0: f- find that number?
1: just looking at the market right I, I was kind of looking around and said this, this seems like a good number based on uh rentals that are comparable to what it what it is that so I'm so other ones for.
0: that were like listed on different sure. websites okay
1: yeah so you know looking at zillow yeah. and i was like a zillow fiend, right like i was yeah. just on zillow <laughs> every single day just you know what's for rent what's for sale so right. you get to grow okay. there with the market um so fifteen hundred dollars was my number and once the rehab finished you know we passed the keys over from the contractor to the property manager and i said hey i'm thinking of listing it at fifteen hundred dollars what are your thoughts and they said, we think we can go higher. We think we can get $1,600. So I'm like, okay, you know, these guys are the experts. You know, they know the market better than I do. Let, let's list it at $1,600, right? So we listed um, at six for two weeks and nothing. And since I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm freaking out a little bit, right? It's yeah. been two weeks, nothing's happened. So we drop it down to a 1575 Another two weeks goes by, nothing. I'm like, Ooh. guys, I, I think we're, we're a little too... So it ends up going for, I want to say it was eight weeks that the property sat on the market. And wow. guess what? We, we dropped it from 1600 to 1575 to 1550 to 1500 And I ended up finally getting it rented at 1450 Now, the, the lesson that I learned from that is the property managers, they're, they're the experts, right? And, and I definitely want to lean on their expertise. But I knew in my heart that $1,500 was the number, but I still leaned on them at, at the 1600 And I think had I just stuck with my gut initially, it wouldn't have sat as long as it did. So there was a, there was a big lesson learned there for me as well.
2: No I've I've had that feeling before as well and I feel like I can't remember a time where listening to someone else versus my gut went the mm-hmm. right way listening right. to that 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 spirit feeling if you will has always yielded me the best return and I could almost say that if you would have left it at you know that 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 original number that fifteen hundred, you probably would have got fifteen hundred, right? right? But right. sitting on the market, I bet people are like, "He's going to keep going Some, down, <laughs> right? Yeah. Something's wrong with it, right? It, the, the listing goes down, you know." So now we got
1: the sticker around
0: it, and that's an important lesson right there. That even though you were a brand new investor, it doesn't mean that you're wrong or you don't know right. these people. The property managers, yes, they have experience, but sometimes you just have to trust your gut. And like you right. said, you did your market research. You looked at those comparable rents.
1: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and the did, property manager, sorry, they're, really quick, they're also incentivized to have a higher rent, right? Obviously, I am too, sure. but they're not as negatively impacted by the vacancy, right? But for me, mm-hmm. that means I had to make another mortgage payment where the property was sitting empty, right? So there, there's some give and take there for sure.
2: Let's talk a little bit about the rehab. Sure. How did that go? Was it smooth sailing? Did you hit all your numbers, all your timelines? Or did you just crush the job? Was it, you know, per- <laughs>
1: yeah? So th- th- it was. No, it was, that's not how it went. <laughs> it was. It, there was. There were some good things that I learned. There were some bad things that that happened as well, right? I, I think the the biggest thing that I learned. I, let me take a step back. The biggest problem was that there was there was lack of clarity on what the rehab was going to cost. Okay. So again, I, I didn't spend any money out of pocket for the rehab, right? The, the bank funded 100% of that. But as I was working with the bank trying to get the funding secured, we had given them multiple bids on, on the rehab portion, right? We had one bid at 40000 and we had a second bid at 50000 right? And you know, I, that was me working with the contractor trying to figure out what we wanted to do. I was under the impression that w- when we entered into the, into the loan that we were operating under the $40,000 bid. But once we get to the end of the end of the loan, right, and, and the rehab is done, I realized that it had gone up to the fifty thousand dollar bid, and this is without me realizing that, right. So yeah, I, confusing, right. So the the way that the loan payouts work is that I I'm not involved at all, right. All the contractor has to do is go to go to the bank and show them, hey, here's the work that I did, and then they get their their withdrawal. So it's almost right? so like I'm, a
0: construction loan when you build a new house, they get their draws. Okay. Right.
1: But I wasn't involved in the draw process at all, right? So the bid that I saw, I thought that the work that was being done was gonna was gonna only going to be forty thousand dollars, but it ended up being fifty thousand dollars. So that was a that was a learning experience for me that there needs to be some clarity and a kind of tighter communication between me, the contractor, and the bank about hey, which bid are we actually going to use? Because you know the goal is to refinance this property, but now I'm I'm ten thousand dollars higher than what I was targeting for. So that that was something you know something that I learned. But some other issues that we saw with the rehab was that um, it took longer than expected, right? And that's mm-hmm. every first investor's problem. I think the first thing that I would have done is I would have pressed the contractor to get started sooner, right? The property sat empty for a few weeks while he was finishing up some other job. Oh. And it would have been like, hey, we, you know, I, I can't sit that long next time, right? Like I, I got to start as soon as I get the keys. So that was a big one for me as well. Outside of those two things, it, it, there weren't any other really, really big issues for me.
2: Interesting, Tony, because the, the $10,000 over is new to me. So I've here in Tennessee... The investor and the contractor have to sign off for him to go get a withdrawal. It's not like he can just go draw without my consent. So that's interesting. I didn't know that that that, that wasn't allowed. I wonder what regulations there is there to stop him from just going and getting more draws without mm-hmm. without your permission. I mean, that, that seems <laughs> yeah, really well,
1: open. There, There's still the, so the, the way that it's structured is the bank says, here's the money for the purchase, right? And then that's that's cut on day one. And then here's the money that's left over for the loan, right? Yeah. So when the loan got funded, I was under the, I was under the assumption that that there was some cushion in there for contingencies and things like that. But they had the number was still high because that was actually what the whole bid was. So yeah, there, there's no me signing off on the loan or anything for the con, the contractor to get their withdrawal because I signed all those documents at the beginning.
2: Was there a limit on how much he could
1: withdraw? There was, yeah. There was. There was an upper limit there. Right? He was trying but to get I, to that. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> So so there were some lessons there. And, and I think, honestly, it wasn't him trying to be uh, manipulative in any way. There was, there was just honestly, he thought like, hey, this is the bit I was supposed to be working under. So really on me for not, not driving that and, and be a diligent.
0: Tony, can you just explain to everyone what a draw is? Like, how does that work with, you know, the financing you're getting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the bank has a copy of the bid the contractor gave me, right? And it and lists all the work that he's supposed to be doing. And it's kind of broken up into sections. I want to say there were four draws for this specific loan. So the, the contractor would do you know, a fourth of the bid. They go to the bank and say, hey, here's the work that I did. The bank sends someone, sends someone out to kind of review that. Everything's good. Then they get their draw. And then it just keeps working that way until they've completed the job.
0: Okay. So it's kind of like a line of credit. The bank has this money set up for you and then the contractor will go and, you know, they did $10,000 worth of work. They'll take that draw Mm -hmm. of the money and then until the project is done and they've drawn out the full amount of the rehab cost. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah, cool.
2: Tony, how would you do that, that specific part differently for our listeners? What is the nugget that you took from that and what have you implemented
1: going forward? Yeah. So I, I think the first thing is making sure that no draws happen without my knowledge right? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Just so I can be tied into that process (laughs) to make sure that everything's how it's supposed to be. Um, And then the second thing is like, it's totally on me, right? Because the fact that you know, I was FaceTiming the contractor and seeing the work that was being done. And it never clicked to me like, hey, this is more than what I thought it was going to be, <laughs> right? It's because I didn't I didn't take enough time to really deep dive that bid to know, you know, know it backwards and forwards and say, hey, here's what's supposed to be done. So I really make sure now that I've got a really solid understanding of that bid and, and what work we're agreeing on to make sure that, you know, as we're checking it, that that everything's lining up. But like Flea Bay, I, I was just so excited to get that first deal. I was like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's yeah. go. Like I, I didn't I didn't even really take the time to to, to pay close enough attention. And everything. Do you, do you care to
2: show or to share the numbers after? Did you, re, did you refi out what you wanted? Did it work
1: out for you in the end? Yeah. So I, it, it was a construction loan and they had like a really tight timeline on it. I think I could only have that construction loan for like four months. So as soon as the construction mm-hmm. finished, I refinanced to do a permanent loan. I didn't pull any cash out, right? I just left it just straight to pay off the, the construction loan. But sure. my plan is to refinance and try and pull some equity out um, six months from now.
0: So you did that with the same bank that you did the construction loan, the purchase rehab with. And then once that loan is done, it's completed. You just rolled it over to the, with the yep. same bank. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. One of the things that, that I do, uh, and I know this show isn't about me, but let me, let me, let me, let me, <laughs> let me give you some word, the word advice that I do with my contracts. Cause I pride myself on how well I handle my contractors. Sure. One of the things that I do is while we're doing the walkthrough and they're giving me scope of work, we identify where 33 and a third percent of the job is. And once Mm. he reaches that scale, he can do a draw. So now I don't actually have to go to the bank when he wants to do a draw, but my bank knows that at this point, let's say drywall's up, everything's mudded and sanded, that's 33 and a third, he can go receive that amount out, right? So we structure that prior to even signing a contract. It's like, hey bud, these are the three times you're gonna get paid, there's no advances, there's no material advance, there's none of this. You get paid after 33 and a third percent of the job is done. Um, and then I will see you basically at the very end, I get pictures every now and then I go
1: down to the job, but that way there's a structure in place. Right. Got it. I love that. I'm, I'm I gotta add that to my toolkit, man. That's a good one. That's a good one.
0: <laughs> that has been a very common question in our Facebook group is how to handle contractors during rehab. So I'm glad you jumped okay. in and said that Felipe. Yeah.
2: no, yeah, absolutely. And then Tony, I'm assuming now you have it rented out. It's doing great. Kind of give us what's, what's going on with it live today.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I have a, a military family in there that actually ended up signing a two-year lease. Um, and I was a little hesitant to sign that two-year lease at first because I was like, hey, that, that kind of limits my ability to, to raise the rents. But it, it kind of comes back to knowing your market, right? Shreveport is not really an appreciating or a quickly appreciating market, right? R- rents don't move up. Like in California, when I was renting, my rent would go up like $50 every year, right? Wow. But in, in Shreveport, it'll stay flat right? So I was talking with the property manager that said, hey, you're probably not going to see a big bump, even if you only have a one-year lease. So if you can lock them in for two years, it makes more sense for you. So great family. They're in the military. You know, They're they're really good people. So it, it's going pretty well right now.
0: Now for a two-year lease, did you give them a discount at all or it's just the flat rate for both two years? No yep. decrease for flat rate doing for the, a two-year?
1: Yeah, flat rate for the, the whole two years. They had asked for it, but I said, hey, I, I'm already kind of coming down for what I was targeting. Um, and okay. they were understandable. So it, it worked out yeah. well for both of us. I love those kind of properties, actually. Tony, I love the idea of
2: just flat, not sexy. Cash flow every single month. Like to me, <laughs> yeah. that's safe, right? Two years mm-hmm. guaranteed. If I could get two year leases on every single one of my properties, I'd be in Bora Bora every two weeks. I mean, it's <laughs> right. it's, it's not having to worry about getting new tenants. You know, you don't ever want to right. feel that gut feeling that you had where you're like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I don't have tenants for you know, right. two or three months. Yeah. That affects your cash flow, affects your bottom line.
1: Right. And, and that's the biggest biggest expense, right? Is it, the vacancy. So if you can do anything to minimize that to eliminate it, then then it makes yeah. a ton of sense.
0: And Tony, I don't know if you said already what kind of house is this? A single family? How many bedrooms, bathrooms?
1: Yeah. Sorry, I just dove right in, right? So let me know. I know. Well,
3: I, I love the numbers <laughs> part, but- <laughs> Yeah.
1: It, so it, it is a single family home. It's a it's a three bedroom, two bath. Um this was it was built like in nineteen fifty something. And um, you know, a lady had owned it. She ended up passing away, unfortunately. So her, her kids had inherited the home. It it had not been updated since the home was built. So there was like pink tile and, and like this really weird carpet and, and yeah. like this, it was it was you know exactly what you think of when you think of 1950 so you know we, we went in we pretty much gutted the whole house so it's it's beautiful now but yeah three bedroom two bath great neighborhood
0: okay so now that you've got the people in there i just want to yeah. like go over the numbers again and put it all together so sure. your your purchase price was a hundred thousand yep your rehab was fifty thousand and then what yep. did it appraise for
1: uh $230,000.
0: Yeah, that nice. that is awesome. Okay. And yeah. then for your rent was 1350 or 1450? Uh, $1,450. 1450. Yeah. Okay. And so what's your cash flow? That's what we all want to uh, know.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be but, the one to ask, but <laughs> yeah. Um, you know my the the mortgage payment uh with with in ta- with taxes and everything is it's about $800, right? So that's the PITI. Okay. Yeah, and then since the since the house is is pretty much brand new, I'm budgeting a little bit for maintenance, but I'm sure I won't need to put a whole lot into it because you know it, it's all new. And then uh, the yeah. property management, it's another hundred dollars a month. So I'm conservatively saying about two hundred dollars a month in cash flow, but it's probably a little bit more because I won't need as much set aside for expenses.
0: Now, for property management, is that a flat fee or a percentage that you're paying?
1: Yeah, they they have a percentage, but they cap it at one hundred dollars
2: per oh, door. Oh, okay.
1: So it actually works out really well. So yeah, it's a flat one hundred dollars for this property.
2: So as you add more properties, are you going to negotiate with them to say, Hey, I'm going to plan on bringing you guys X amount of doors. Can we negotiate that price? Everything's negotiable in real estate. Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) That's the goal. And they're, they're a really solid company. Um, and, and I told them when I met them, so I I flew out there to, to Louisiana, um, so I can meet all these people. And, you know, when, I'm, when I met them in person, I said, hey, this is the first property, but this, this is the first of many, right? And this is the goal here is that we have a long-term growing relationship. And so I, I set that tone up front for had to say, hey, it's not the one house, but it's, you know, it's 20, it's 50. And, and uh, they, were, they were open to that. Start building that relationship. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You, you
2: keep that open line of communication. You express your goals to them. And it even keeps you accountable, right? To like, okay, right. I need to get more property because I'm telling people that that's what I'm going to do. So it kind of keeps you going, Right. Absolutely. So for our, for our listeners there, Tony, can you give us a an explanation of how if I bought you coffee and I said, hey, Tony, let me, let me buy you coffee, man. Can you give me four or five steps to get a property just like yours? How would you explain that to them? How
1: could they do that? Yeah, that is a great question. I think the first thing I would say is don't overthink it. Mm. Right. But like, that's Mm -hmm. the thing that gets most people caught up is is they get stuck in this analysis paralysis where they want to hit all these specific numbers and and everything's got to line up perfectly, but it's never going to happen that way. Right. At least in the first deal. I haven't met anyone that at the perfect first deal. Something always goes a little wrong. Right. So I think that's the first thing I would say is is don't overthink it. Expect to make some mistakes. Right. The mindset is where you got to start first. Expect to make some mistakes. Um, And from there, it's really just find a market that you're comfortable in. Start building your team. Really get to know that market intimately and then start putting in offers right? But it's really, really that simple. The thing that I always say is that real estate is not a complicated business. It really isn't, right? Like the the actual steps that people need to take to close on that first deal, it, it's not all that hard, or it's not all that complicated. But what it isn't is that it isn't easy, right? It is hard. It does take a lot of work to do those things. But the actual steps you need to take, they're not that complicated. So Felipe, I'd say get your mindset right first, right? Go into, go, go into it with the right perspective, then find your market, build your team and, and get the deal.
0: So now that... You got your first property there. You know that market and you have two properties, correct? So you bought your sure. second property. Now, yep. what's what's the goal for the future? What does that look like? Are yeah. you buying, you know, one a month or <laughs> one a year?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I actually bought those two like relatively close to each other. So I wanted to kind of get those both finished before I jump into the next one. I'm going to continue investing in Shreveport on the single family side just because the, the loan mm-hmm. product is so... Attractive, right? And yeah. It's like I, I want to milk that as much as I can. But when I started investing in real estate, I knew that my goal was to get into larger multifamily uh, apartment complexes. Um, and I read a book by Joe Fairless. I can't remember what the heck it was called. I think it was like the best ever apartment syndication book. And he said, Before you can invest or successfully invest in apartments, you need a track record, right? And my tr- i didn't have one right i didn't had never <laughs> bought anything before so i said hey let me start building that track record let me get a few single family homes just to kind of you know build my knowledge and, and build my credibility um and then from there I'll, I'll scale up so um that's the goal right now keep keep kind of milking the cash cow that i have yeah. in, in louisiana but um scale up to uh, to start buying some larger properties that's interesting
2: because for me tony i i just stuck to boring normal i just did like yeah. like the process that you bought one and then two I just didn't stop i just kept going i just bought seven <laughs> and then number eight and i'm like hey this six hundred dollars a month seems nice so i'm just gonna keep doing this boring just like you said i think people overcomplicate real estate sometimes they're like get into this analysis paralysis and i knew business cards and i need llcs and i need the right lawyer and i need my team and then three years went by and you didn't do anything and then right. prices are twice as high if you would have just bought a rental property figured it out it's gonna be okay guys it's okay to get a lot of these things in place you know it's it's important but there's nothing more important than buying that property. Like get involved.
1: Right. Get in the and, game. And, right. And that's the biggest thing. Just get off the sidelines. Right. And everything else will will kind of work itself in, you know, it'll work itself out. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I loved your story about how you did this deal. And I you're giving such great mindset tips too. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it seems like you're all, everything you've learned and everything is part of it is adding so much value to you. But I yeah. want to know is there a specific person that has really been uh, a key player in getting you this first deal? And we call this segment the
2: MVP.
1: MVP. <laughs> MVP. <laughs> Man, a key person. Gosh. Uh let me think on that, right? There, there's so many different people that I interacted with to, to actually get that first deal done. But I would probably say my dad, right? And him giving mm-hmm. me that Rich Dad Poor Dad book back when I was like you know, 15, 14 years old yeah. because that, that's what planted the, seed, the, that's planted the seed for me, right? And I think had I not read that book as a teenager, you know, I never would have found Bigger Pockets and I never would have found all these other resources that helped me get that first deal. So everyone else was only in my life because of that decision that my dad made to kind of preach real estate to me early on.
0: And how soon is it going to be before your son gets that gift or that book for <laughs> a gift for his birthday?
1: <laughs> so I haven't given him the book yet, but we play the cash yeah. flow game. So we, we oh, play that cool. game. So he's learning yeah. the concepts. Yeah. So he he loves it. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm we can to them, yeah. Uh, link
0: this stuff for you guys in the show notes uh, at yeah. biggerpockets.com dot com forward slash rookie ten. But yeah, that will link the cash flow game and the Rich Dad Poor Dad book because those are great resources. And it's a very if you listen to other real estate podcasts where they ask, like Brandon and David's podcast, they ask, "What's your favorite book?" Rich Dad Poor Dad is a very common answer as to absolutely how, the reason why people got started or thought about real estate.
2: Absolutely. Okay. So we hear that answer all the time. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What was your biggest takeaway from Rich Dad, Poor Dad?
1: Your money should be working harder than you all the time, right? Like Money is the absolute best employee that you can have. And smart, wealthy people have found a way to put their money to work, right? Whereas the, the average American, they work, they spend all their money on liabilities, whereas the rich people, they work, they spend all their money on assets, which, which you know, increases their cash flow
0: okay great i want to ask real quick too about so the bank that you're using would a a loan officer you think be a good mvp for someone uh going forward because you've i thought you were going to say something about the bank (laughs) for going because you you know they really did have such a great package for you and it seems like it's going well if you keep working with them do you think a loan officer could be someone's mvp
1: Absolutely. Right. And, and I think for people that are in the single family space, going to Bank of America doesn't make a whole ton of sense. Right. Like as an <laughs> investor, I would honestly, I would rather have a relationship where I can call that person and have a real dialogue and they know me and I know their kids and they know my family. Right. Like that relationship is so much more valuable. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. As a new investor, someone who's trying to get started, building a relationship with that small regional bank is, is critical.
3: Great,
2: great. on okay. that. I agree. I, I know my loan officer pretty well. Um, and I love that we can have honest and real conversations where she, I come in, she gives me a hug. I mean, I know her personally. Right. And I get to, you know, shout out to Regina uh, here at Franklin Synergy <laughs> Bank in Nashville. She is amazing. Yeah. Now she, she's going
0: to be too busy to return your calls, believe me. <laughs> <okay? laughs>
2: oh, God, take that part out. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. Relationship building. I didn't know the importance of that until you know i got started in real estate and how crucial that was to to not always look for what can i get out of a person but what value can i add to them and that's going to keep me you know in their mind at all times especially when when i do need something right don't just reach out to people when you need something add value to them and then when you when you are in need of some help you know they're going to be like man this i want to give back to this person this person has been great for me
1: yeah and felipe if i can add on to that right like sure for people that want to invest out of state, fly out there, right? You, you have to go meet these people in person, right? It's one thing to exchange emails and phone calls, but to actually go out there, like you said, to, to, to share a hug, right? To, to, to share a meal. Um, like Those are the things that, that really allow you to build that connection, to build that relationship so that you know, as you further that relationship, you guys have a really, really solid foundation.
0: Okay, so I'm going to make you the MVP of the show now. We call this the Rookie Request Line, and you are going to answer a question for a rookie. So if anyone would like to call in anytime, you can call 1-888-5-ROOKIE and leave a voicemail for us and just ask a question, and we might play it on an episode. So this week, we have a question from...
1: Hi, my name is John, I'm from Buffalo, New York, and I'm looking to invest out of state, and I wanted to know what is the best way to get boots on the ground in that area? Do I hire a realtor, a property management company, or try and find a local investor in that area? Thanks, bye. Hmm. that's a great question. I think if you have someone that's family, right, or that's, you know that you have a personal relationship with, that's a great place to start. And assume that they're interested in real estate, right, you guys can work something out. But if not, I mean, yeah, all those people that they listed right the the property manager is is huge, the realtor is huge. Just go out there and start building those relationships because all of those people are willing to work with you and and kind of be part of your team, even though we're paying them they they can still be part of your team, right? I think sometimes people forget that you know when they think about building their team they they think about you know boots on the ground as someone that they have a relationship with, but your property manager realtor can can play that role as well,
0: okay, yeah, great. And actually, we've loved the advice that you have that we uh, are giving you two questions, uh, a little bonus round here. (laughs) Perfect. Hi there,
1: Rookie World. Uh, My name is Tony. I'm having a dilemma. Currently, I have a job that I don't really love, but I make decent money. Don't necessarily see
2: myself there forever anyway. If I were to quit, how could I use that time but still also get lending? My wife has a decent job also. We could use
1: her income, but we really, really want to just be able to do it, her name and my name, if we were to have to do it on, the, on, our, on our own.
3: Hmm. Man,
1: that's a, that's a heavy question. Let's see. <laughs> I mean, I, for me, I don't think that, and I'm going to try and answer from, from my perspective, but I don't think that I would quit my job, right? I think at that point, you put a little bit too much pressure on yourself um, to start generating income. And I think that pressure can lead to poor business decisions. I think the thing that I would do is use that fuel of me not enjoying my job to drive me to work even harder in my real estate business. I think I would challenge uh, Tony on the, the fact that maybe he doesn't have time, right? Like, you know, and I have a W-2 job, right? And I have an organization of over 500 people that I lead spread out across the nation. I'm working nonstop. I have a family. I have my own podcast where I put out three episodes a week. I'm investing in real... So it, I, I think I would challenge his notion that he doesn't have enough time, right? Like Tony, how much, how much TV are you watching? right? How much time yeah. are you scrolling through Instagram and Facebook? So, you know, we, we all have the same 24 hours, right? Elon Musk is running like four different companies right now, and he still finds a way to to, to get it all done, right? So we, I think we can do that. So Tony, my advice to you is find a way to to manage your time a little bit better, to, to dedicate your time a little bit better, um, and just use that fuel that you're not enjoying your job to, to really drive you to, to take some massive action.
2: I love that answer. Because I get that question all the time as well. It's like, hey Felipe, I don't have I don't have the time to do it, you know, or you know, should I quit my W two job to to do that? And usually, I or they say they hate their W two job. And I always tell them, I'm like, if you hate your W two job, it's because you don't have a reason to be there. When you when you find out how much you can leverage your W two job from the bank to get more loans to get more properties, you all of a sudden really start liking your W two
1: job. If you really love real estate, you're gonna leverage that that W two job towards real estate. Yeah. And Felipe, if I can add on to that, right. What, you know, I've interviewed guests on my show where, you know, yeah, maybe they weren't happy in their W2 job. So they went and found a job that was related to real estate. Right. So they -hmm. became, you know, they they got a job at a construction company or they became a realtor. Right. Or they became a property manager. So there's ways that you can shift your W2 job to support your real estate goals as well. Great answer.
2: I have
0: to agree with that because that's what I did. I didn't know that I wanted to go down the real estate path, but I was working at an accounting firm, hated it, quit, and started working as a property manager. And that's how I got into real estate. And I, on Bigger Pockets, on the forums, I started talking with, um, it was probably six or eight months ago, this guy in his 20s and just saying he wanted to get into real estate and he was ready to take massive action. So he quit his, you know, steady. W-2 job at a big public accounting firm and went and worked as an accountant for an investor. And I actually got to meet him for the first time last night. And he has a duplex and looking for more deals. And it was just really exciting to see that. But he did it without quitting his job. And it's a lot easier, too, to get bank financing when you have that W-2 income coming in. But how you said the time blocking and not everyone has, or everyone, I'm sorry, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. That, Mm -hmm. that is so great.
2: Yeah. I started on a construction site and, you know, hated every minute of it until I started seeing how I could leverage that towards real estate. I figured I was like, man, I don't have any connections in real estate though. All I know is drywall guys, construction guys, electricians and, and flooring installers. And then, you know, one of my investors was like, Mm dude, are you an idiot? That's exactly (laughs) what you need. Like, you know, these people, like you understand, you speak their language. Here's the money going back. They're like, we're having trouble finding contractors and you're having lunch with them every single day. And I was like, oh my gosh, it is. As you said earlier, mindset, mindset. And what are you leveraging the people around you?
1: Absolutely. And if I can add on to that, right? Because you mentioned network. And I know yes. that a lot of people that are, are looking to get started in real estate, they feel that they might be doing this on an island, right? Where, where they're not surrounded. They don't know people who are investing or they don't know people that are, that are uh, you know, successfully doing this. That's totally okay. Most people start that way. But you have to be diligent in going out there and building that network, right? Go to meetups. Uh, get on bigger pockets, go to conferences. I love real estate conferences. Those are some of the best experiences I've ever had. Being in, in a room with hundreds of other people that also talking about real estate, right? So go out there, just start meeting people, and you'll be so like positively overwhelmed with the amount of support you get from those those kind of relationships.
0: Are bigger you going pockets to Conference? bigger pockets Yeah, 2020? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> are you coming?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Count me in. Yay, good. Count me in. So
2: excited. Yeah, for that. New I'm Orleans be there. this
0: year. Yep. Bigger go. pockets 2020.
2: Definitely going to like I'm excited. I'm excited about the food. I can't wait to go get some of that food, man. If you guys want to join
0: us, um, you can find out more information, uh, biggerpockets.com forward slash conference 2020. You find the link with all the info there. And you can meet Tony.
2: (laughs) That's right. Come hang out with us, guys. We'll be super excited to have you. (laughs) All right, Tony. So let's wrap this up a little bit. Um, we do have a couple fun questions that we'd like to ask you. Uh, we ask all our guests these towards the end. Uh, is it something you're ready for? Are you excited? Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's get into it. Okay, awesome. So my first question is going to be, what's the highest high that you've experienced in real estate so far?
1: Ooh, the highest high. I think it was the the first time I saw the money come in, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like honestly, like, like that first payment. Um, and I've got it set up with my with my property manager. It was like this electronic payment. So you know, I, I get that email that the that the uh, direct deposit hit. And I'm like, man, like this is this is actually a thing. You know, like it, it was it, really it was, does It's work. nice to
2: get paid versus going the other way
1: around, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. right, finally coming one coming in. Yeah, yeah,
1: man. So you know, I shared that with my with my son with my fiance and said, hey, you know, here here's what all the hard work is coming out to. So, right. yeah.
0: cool. What is uh, your favorite app or online tool or even piece of technology that you can't live without?
1: Ooh online tool or piece of technology. That's a good one. You know what I would say, I would say bigger pockets, honestly. Um, and this isn't just because I'm on the podcast. I mean, it (laughs) it truly is a a great resource. You know, I've, I've I've connected with so many different people on there, um, you know, both online and and in person. And it's, it's just been such a wealth of information for me. And I think like so many new investors, like that's you read rich dad, poor dad, then you go and Google real estate and you find bigger pockets. Right. And then you kind of go down this this you know th- this whole the rabbit
0: hole of all right, this information right. yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: and, and and that's where it started for me so i think bigger pockets has been been pretty critical for me i think you know moving forward as my business starts to scale i would probably say that i think my email right like i feel like i'm connecting yeah. with so many different investors and and you know scaling into the multi-family spaces it really is a team sport so you have to know a lot of different people so i, I think really just being on top of the email and building relationships there is is pretty big for me right now too
0: Awesome, awesome. I love
2: that email. I don't think I've heard that one yet, but uh, I think sometimes we do forget the power of email and just, you know, reaching out to people. It's a great way to the, to communicate with somebody, you know, quickly and answer questions. So yeah, email is great. My next question would be, Tony, and aside from Rich Dad Poor Dad, because that's what we always get, but I'm actually interested. I get this vibe from you that maybe you're mm-hmm. a reader that you read a lot and Absolutely. that you do a lot of research. So yeah. what are your top three books,
1: aside from Rich Dad Poor Dad, Ooh, what are your top, top books that you love, three man? books. The five love languages. That is one of my absolute favorite books. It has absolutely nothing to do with business, nothing to do with real estate, but all about relationships. So that's a big one for me. There's a second one called Crucial Conversations. That book is, again, not a business book, but it's a relationship book. And anytime that you're dealing in like high pressure conversations, that's a book that I always fall back on. And the third one that I really, really enjoy is uh, Good to Great. It's a, it's a business book. Uh, Jim Collins, I think, was the author. But it, it talks about how a lot of these businesses that were doing really good made the leap to great. Um, so that one's a big one for me. And I know you said three, but I'm gonna give you, give you a fourth one as well, because I, I, I love this one, too. It's called uh, Multipliers. I can't remember who, who the author is, but it's a book about how high-level leaders bring out the genius in people that they're leading. And I feel like in business mm. and in real estate... You have to be able to, you know, find the genius in other people and and leverage that to to the best of their ability. So that's a big one for me too. Multipliers.
2: I love those
0: recommendations.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. I just looked it up. I
0: think it's
2: Liz Wiseman. Does That sound right? That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna add that one for sure to my to my (laughs) notes here. Go ahead, Ashley. What question do you got?
0: Okay. So this question is a little bit of rookie hazing. Okay. Um, (laughs) We want to know what song is your guilty pleasure song. Ooh. And can you sing a little bit of it for
3: us?
1: Um, you know what? I'm actually a big Taylor Swift fan. I call her T-Swizzy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stop. Uh, I think. Uh, no, any- pick a song. <laughs> pick a song, um, bro. Man. Um, Which one of our I, songs
0: really complements do- your voice?
1: <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. I kind of got like the baritone voice. I don't know if any, any <laughs> of her songs match mine. But um, she's got that one song that goes. Ooh, 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 ooh. i don't even remember the words
3: ooh, yeah. ooh. that's the all beat. i know yeah. <laughs> oh man you had me good in the feeling good. bro keep going that was great <laughs> we,
0: we, we will accept that
3: <laughs> there you go
1: there you go okay. tony where can people find out more about you bro yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've got a podcast. It's called the Your First Real Estate Investment Podcast. You guys can go over to yourfirstrealestateinvestment.com forward slash iTunes. That'll take you straight there. Yeah. Same thing, right? Trying to help people that are getting or that want to get started. The premise of that show is I, I interview people just about their first deal, right? We go super, super deep on that first deal, give them mm-hmm. all the ins and outs. So I drop episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, so people are interested they can go there. Um, if you want to find out more about what we're doing on the apartment investing side, you can head over to alphageekcapital.com. That's Alpha Geek. Capital. Um, I know super funny name, but we figured to stand out a little (laughs) bit. You can learn more about what we're doing on the multifamily side.
0: And like you said, you're working full time and still investing and you got all this side stuff going on too. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, I, I think our listeners would be uh, great for your show to come listen to. So everyone head over and hit subscribe, but, yeah, um,
1: absolutely. and
0: we'll link everything in the show notes. If you guys want to go to biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 10, um, we'll link all of the great value that Tony has provided us today, but Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us today.
1: Absolutely, guys. I'm I'm super thrilled to be here. Super glad the Bigger Pockets is doing this, and I know it's going to fill a void in the marketplace. There's a lot of people that, that want to hear this content.
0: I'm Ashley on Instagram at Wealth from Rentals, and he's Felipe on Instagram at Felipe Mejia Rei. And don't forget to get active in our Facebook group. So just search Real Estate Rookie, and you'll be able to uh, join our group. But check it out, and I'll guarantee you can learn something new. Thanks for joining us.
2: Tony, thanks for being on the show, man. A true pleasure, true honor, man. Love what you're doing. Keep crushing
1: it, especially for our kids. Awesome, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys.
0: The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Great shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals